Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to start with the word tonight, and then we'll have some time in prayer. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And it's been a little while since we've been in 1 Corinthians. Um, had uh, last Sunday night off, uh, and then Eddie spoke previous Sunday, kind of filling in about the ministry at Kairos. I trust that went well. Yeah, pretty good stuff going on. Love it. Um, well, let me give you a little bit of an update, uh, kind of where we've come so far. We're halfway through chapter one, so you're still uh, right here at the beginning. First uh, Corinthians is written to this messy church in Corinth that uh, Paul was with for um, a while, longer than most churches that he was able to be with. And unfortunately, uh, even though he was with them a little bit longer than other churches, uh, they had some bigger problems than other churches had. Um, division of many different kinds began to creep in to this church, and Chloe's people called out to Paul and said, listen, you got to do something, please help, things are getting bad down here in Corinth. He reminds them of uh, his love for them and how he prays for them and thanks God for the grace given to them uh, and how God will present them before the throne of Christ, guiltless in that day. He reminds them of the gospel, like you're saved, you're, bo you're bought, you're his. But geez, you're a mess, right? Um, we, we, last time we looked at, uh, I think, 10 through 17, and just, just this thesis idea of uh, his desire that they all would agree and that there would be no divisions among them, but they'd be united. Some of the division that they were experiencing was some type of preacher worship. I remember we talked about that. Some say I follow uh, Paul. Some say I follow Cephas. Some say I follow Apollo. Some say, well, I just follow Jesus. I'm above all you guys, right? And uh, Paul was so thankful that he only baptized a couple of them because they would say, well, I was baptized by so-and-so or I was baptized by so-and-so. And you can see pride um, just, just taking advantage of the church and, and really hurting Jesus' bride uh, quite badly. Um, and at the end of that passage, verse 17, we kind of have a transition into where we're going next, which is verses 18 through the end of the chapter, Lord willing. And uh, he, he says, I, Christ did not send me to baptize, okay, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. So we have this transitionary statement saying, you know, I, I'm not this great baptizer who you need to follow. I came preaching a gospel message like John the Baptist. You weren't supposed to follow me. You weren't supposed to follow Cephas. You weren't supposed to follow Paul. You weren't supposed to follow anybody that baptized you. You were supposed to follow the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that came to you not with eloquent words of wisdom, not with eloquent, clever words. You remember how weak I was, how I stuttered, how I didn't always talk real good, how I was just a normal person with a great message to proclaim. And so now he's transitioning into the end of the chapter, which really he goes this topic all the way through chapter 2 and a little bit in chapter 3, I think, about wisdom. About wisdom. Uh, you, you don't think of wisdom being one of the main division causes in a church. But he said that there was this big problem, not just of preacher worship, of all kinds of immorality and other disagreements and heresies, but Wisdom was a problem. And let me just give you an up, a, a preface before we read it. There are two kinds of wisdom. 
There is a worldly wisdom and there is a godly wisdom. You know what I'm talking about, right? That worldly wisdom is that which says uh, this life is all about our own personal success and it busies itself with various philosophies of the human mind. How can I get smarter in order to make myself better? Godly wisdom is a pure gift from God. It is not something that comes from this world. Godly wisdom comes from God himself the moment we are saved and it's something that we grow in day by day by day by day in the Christian life. And so we're going to see this wisdom uh, that was dividing them, uh, this church in Corinth in this passage. So let's finally read it. Verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low, despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts Boast in the Lord. Amen. Uh, so let me remind you again who he's writing to. Church of Corinth, made up of Jews and made up of Greeks, coming together, trying to be a church, but experiencing a lot of problems. And he even alludes to it about halfway through the passage. Um, Jews are seeking signs. Greeks are seeking Gentile or seeking... Um, um, wisdom. Thank you, Diane. Uh, and, and what he's alluding to there is the philosophy of that day. Um, there were all types of belief systems in the Greek and Gentile world. You might also hear people call them pagan. They believed things that were wrong. They looked inward to find out about God. They looked outward to find out about God. But they never looked to the revelation of God to find out about God. Does that make sense? So they're thinking, well, Paul, this is great. You've given us the gospel. This is a great starting point. Now we can find out a whole lot more on our own. Like you just opened the doorway for us to true wisdom, and now we can look within, we can look out here, and we can learn even more about the gospel. And that's almost good, but it's really not. 
is almost good because, like, yes, we do begin to grow in wisdom and knowledge. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But what they were talking about and what their division was was not going to God to learn more about God, but going to themselves, going to the culture, going to the big philosophers of their day. You know, read Acts chapter 17, and you see all these people in Athens worshiping the unknown God. They don't even know who he is, but they're worshiping him, right? This was what philosophy looked like back in those days. So this is the, the wisdom that was dividing them, and he, he begins to talk about this by saying in verse 18, the word of the cross is folly, or your Bible might say foolishness, to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And that word uh, folly or foolishness is the word moriah, which sounds a little bit like moron. The word of the cross is moronic to those who are perishing. What a, what a picture that's being painted there. Not just people who are lost, people who are on their way to hell. Their toes are dipping in the heat. And they're saying, this word that you are preaching is moronic. Look outside of that gospel message that you keep referring to, you strange Christians, and then you'll find true wisdom. <clears throat> the word of the cross. What is the word of the cross? It, it's the message that we seek to proclaim. That Christ became a man and, and dwelt among us, lived this perfect, sinless life. He was fully God. And fully man, and yet went to the cross to die for sinners like you and me, and like for the sinners who were in Corinth that day. This word that salvation has come for the, the sinners, the weak, the, the lame, the, the broken, the people who don't have their act together, this is moronic to believe, says the perishing. But to us who are being saved, what do we believe about the word of cross of the cross? It's the power of God. It's the power of God. And then Paul breaks away and he says, don't you remember Isaiah 29? The Old Testament said this was going to happen, this great paradox of foolishness and true wisdom. It says, I will destroy, it's been written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. And then he kind of answers that and he says, so that's what Isaiah wrote. Several hundred years ago, verse 20, so where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? In other words, look around. All the people who claim to be so smart, what have they accomplished? They're still the same nincompoops they always have been, right? Their philosophy has not really gotten them very far. Okay, they came up with some, some new mathematical equations. That's great. But you know what? The sin problem has not been dealt with. This world is still broken, and nobody of this worldly wisdom is going to fix it. There's only one type of wisdom that's going to address this worldly problem. And you know, I mean, they might even get close, these, these great philosophers, and say, well, hatred is the problem. Well, where does that hatred come from? See, the, the godly wisdom knows that there is sin in the heart of every man that gives birth to all these various types of sins called hatred and adultery and all types of immorality. 
And until that root issue of sin is addressed, it will be nothing more than empty talking. He says, why would you listen to these people? They're not preachers. They don't, they don't, they're not preaching the same gospel that I'm preaching. They are using the wisdom of, God, of, of, of man, the wisdom of the world, to sound attractive. But rather, you should aspire to the wisdom of God, knowing that you're going to look like a moron if you do. Right? And then he, he gives all these fours. Four, 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 four. And that's what I want to show out. He's kind of making this big point that the wisdom of God is better than the wisdom of the world. Point number one. Why? Verse 21. Four, 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 four. That means because. This is why the wisdom of God is better than the wisdom of the world. Verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So first we've got this, this great paradox of what it means to be truly wise in God and how the world sees that as foolish. He says, God decided to make himself known through wisdom, but not through the type of wisdom that this world uses. In other words, these human beings could not just come up with me in their minds. I've always existed, I always have been, and you need to go to me for true wisdom about me. And it pleased God through the moronic preaching that we do to save people. God is wanting us, these people, you know, who aren't very smart, who don't have PhDs, who aren't too intelligent, to preach this great gospel message that is clearly coming from another angle of wisdom that this world has never seen before that makes people repent and believe in this gospel because it's otherworldly. It's a type of wisdom they've never heard of. For the Jews who are demanding signs, it's a stumbling block, unfortunately. The Jews hear this moronic message, the word of the cross, and they say, show us a sign. Show us a sign. And you heard the Pharisees over and over again demanding signs from Jesus. Um, this Christ that came to show them himself the revelation of God, unfortunately became a stumbling block to those Jews. And you might flip your Bibles really quickly, just a couple pages back to Romans 9, 31. Paul talks about this there again. He says, but Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Verse 32, Romans 9, because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. And that stumbling stone family is Jesus. He, he quotes, as it is written, I'm laying, a Zion, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The Jews were the ones who should have believed if anybody had believed the right order of things, the Messiah who had come for them 
for salvation. But they could not believe. They, they saw this, this great stone being laid down, and instead of bowing to it, seeing him as the Christ who came to take away sins, they stumbled over it. They killed him. They mocked him. They rebuked him. They flogged him. They took him to a cross. They did not see the Christ standing in front of them. The Greeks, however, they're seeking wisdom. They're seeking empty philosophy. They're seeking these, these grand things that uh, they think they can find in themselves and, and in this world. And for them, well, they believe our message is just folly. That's the word again, Moriah. Just more lunacy. Ridiculous words that don't make any sense. This is Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. This is how God chose to display himself with this great paradox of wisdom, seeking um, to show that the wisdom of the world is far less superior than the wisdom of God. And then secondly, the second half here, he says, consider your own calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. And we'll stop there. Um, when you're preaching to these Jews or you are preaching to these Gentiles and they say, you're a moron, what in the world are you preaching to me right now? He says, consider your own calling. Remember how you were before you were in Christ. And anytime Paul uses that word calling, it's always referring to Christ's call to salvation. Salvation. Remember your calling. Remember when you got saved. Remember when you came into the family of God. You weren't wise, according to those worldly standards. You weren't like them, demanding signs and seeking um, uh, some other type of wisdom. You weren't powerful. You weren't of noble birth. God chose you because you were weak to shame the strong. God chose to work in you knowing that, that you weren't some great, wonderful speaker or, or great thinker of the day to put to shame that worldly wisdom. Because now you, a simpleton, has the message that will save multitudes of souls. Has the very message from God's own lips. You have information that the men who are unbelievers of all the PhD circles in the universe don't know. You have obtained something higher than you can find in any library. You have obtained something higher than you can find behind any pulpit, or not pulpit, but any lectern at a, at a local college. You have obtained something higher than any degree or anything you can purchase. You have obtained the very wisdom of God. And they might call you a moron because you preach this great message, but it's the very wisdom of God. And we shouldn't be ashamed of our weakness because God uses that weakness to shame the strong. God uses those who are low and despised in this world, even things that are not. And it says that things that are not, I think that's kind of a little, a little rib at the philosophers because one thing that they could never settle was things that are not. 
nothing can't be nothing. nothing. There has to be something. That was one of the great philosoph- philosophical debates of the day. Nothing can't be nothing, right? And, and he says, even things that are not, you're shamed by this good gospel with your silly conversations about nothings and some things. He's brought those people to shame. And here's why he did it, church at Corinth, verse 29. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You know that no human being has the right to boast in the presence of God. No human being. Because... What good of us can we give to God? What good of us can we stand before the Lord and say, look at what I've been able to think up. Look at how great and smart I am. Look at all the things that I've accomplished. And Jesus, of course, will say to those folks, I don't know who you are. Because he's looking for godly wisdom, not the wisdom of this world. And so, of course, you know, the, the practical question that is left begging for us, I don't want to leave this without some sort of practicality to it. We do want to realize that we have a wisdom from God, not a wisdom from the world. But how do we walk in that wisdom? How do we now pursue a, a worldview in which every decision we're making isn't based on the decisions of the world, what the world views as wise, but what God views as wise? Well, he says, again, remember that you are in Christ Jesus, verse 30. You are in Jesus. Jesus is in you. Abide in him and he in you. He became to us wisdom from God. Not just wisdom, but also righteousness. And you know what? Not only is he our wisdom and our righteousness, but he's also our sanctification. And you know what? Not only is he our wisdom and our righteousness and our sanctification, he's also our redemption. So it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So if you're going to walk in wisdom, you're going to walk with Jesus. You know, Jesus fulfills the book of Proverbs because the wisdom of God came down to this earth. (laughs) The wisdom of God was made manifest for all to see him, speaking like no man had ever spoke, living a perfect, sinless life, walking in accord with the Father, never sinning, learning and, and wanting to please him and him alone. All he wanted to do is please his father. He became to us very wisdom from God. So if you're going to walk in wisdom, I can't give you a one, two, three, here's how to do it. You gotta walk in Jesus. You gotta live every day resting in the gospel. Christ died for your sins and has given you a wisdom that's otherworldly and begging him not to leave. (laughs) He's not gonna leave you. But the, the, the harder grip you have around that cross, the closer you will be walking in wisdom. He's our righteousness. He's made us able to approach the throne of God. He's our sanctification. He's the only chance we have at growing closer to God every day through Jesus. He's our redemption. He's the only chance we have to stand before the throne, not boasting in ourselves, but boasting in the one who bought us. What the word redeemed means. He bought us back. He chose us. He purchased us. He wanted us. He bought us. So when we get to heaven, we're boasting not in ourselves, but boasting in the Lord. And to answer the question of division, what happens when an entire 
church comes together and decides we're not going to boast in anything of us, but we're only going to boast in Jesus. Our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. What do you think happens? I think unity happens. I think unity happens. I think that's what he's getting at. If we're going to be united here at Main Street Baptist Church, we've got to recognize uh, that we should not live with the posture of, I'm smarter than you, you're smarter than me. No, we are bought by the blood of Jesus, who is the very wisdom of God. And his wisdom covers us and helps us grow day by day by day. And we're all seeking to walk in that wisdom together. Boy, that brings us down a notch, doesn't it? It brings us down a notch. Don't look for people who are good talkers. Look for people who are walking with the wisdom of Jesus to listen to, to be taught from. Amen? Any thoughts? Any questions? Thank you for listening to another message from the pulpit ministry of Main Street Baptist Church in Spindale, North Carolina. I hope that your soul has been edified as a result of hearing the Word of God preached and that God will continue to be glorified in your life as you worship Jesus. If you have any questions about the message you heard today, feel free to uh, check us out online and send an email. You can find us at www.mainstreetspindale.com or you can call us directly at 828-286-2291. Hope you have a wonderful day. God bless.